Mary could slide over to the organ. Yeah. It'd be sweet. Some of that action going on. Hey, good morning, friends. Good to see you. Hey, uh, last night, something epic, epic happened, right? Some, some of you are feeling it in the room. We had our, our 80s party, and to me, it was, it was a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like on earth. <laughs> Pretty tacky, but, but there was, uh, I saw grandparents who came dressed in 80s garb, uh, parents, kids, small kids, singles, marrieds, every, everybody showed up last night and we just had, we had an epic party. It was so much fun. So I wanna say uh, just a shout out to Joy Fishler who, <laughs> Joy, Joy is in the building somewhere, I'm assuming, but she's not in the room. But man, we just had a great time last night. When I saw Cora Lee show up with shoulder pads and decked out in the 80s, I'm like, okay. I'm in. I'm all in. Our, our beautiful Coralie came just sporting a, a sweet outfit. It was super sweet. Um, before we, we jump into uh, the fruit of the Spirit, we're on beat number eight. So we've been going through this list out of this letter in the New Testament called Galatians, a letter to the Christians in the city of Galatia. And uh, in chapter five of this letter, Paul goes through these nine characteristics of who we are as Jesus followers on the earth. This is what um, we have been given as a gift and what we are invited to embody as people. So we've been moving through the list. There is a handout sheet and, uh, on the end of the aisle if you want to follow along, and there's some scripture passages on the back that we'll be moving through. But before we jump into um, gentleness, jumping into the, the concept of gentleness, beat number eight, I want to just draw your attention to a few things in your bulletin. So if you have your bulletins, um, these are actually valuable pieces of info just to give you an insight of all the things that are going on in our community, ways that you can get involved, on-ramps for you to plug in to the heartbeat of this community. But there is a few things that I want to highlight, and I think these are actually good ways for us to put into practice the fruit of the Spirit. The first one is this. On November the 20th, we are having what we are calling a service of gratitude here at Hillside. This is a night for us just to come together, to sing together, pray together, enjoy each other's company, enjoy God together. And Daniel Cisse is gonna be leading us through that time. So if you're in the area and you wanna come and sing and enjoy one another, that'd be a great opportunity for us to connect. We're looking forward to having a good time of connection there. On November the 19th, we have uh, what is called Grief Share. And Pastor Jane DeYoung, um, has spearheaded this movement. So typically what happens during the holidays is there's a lot of joy and celebration in family, but for some it's a very painful reminder of what they've lost. And it can be a very um, difficult season to move through. So as we move through Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, we're aware of the immensity of weight of grief that that brings up for some. And so we wanna be the kind of community that invites people into the grief, not to ignore the grief, but to face the grief, and we wanna support you. So on the 19th at Hope Center Covenant Church in Pleasant Hill, um, Jane will be hosting a night to move through that. So if you know of somebody or you yourself um, are experiencing grief and need help and need the presence of people in your life, that is an incredible opportunity for you to step into. And then on November the 23rd, um, we're doing our traditional Thanksgiving dinner with our homeless fellowship. So this is an incredible opportunity for you to come and serve our homeless community, to sit with them and share a meal, Thanksgiving meal, 
to pray with them, to share stories with them. Um, we need volunteers, and volunteers are asked to show up at 11.30 on that particular day, and then the lunch begins at 1 o'clock. That is like a well-oiled machine, but we're always in need of people to step in and serve. So if you're available, we would love to have your help and your presence there. All right, ready to talk about gentleness? Shall we begin? Good. This morning, we're going to um, look at a few passages. They are printed on your handout on the back of the sheet. And the, the launching point for us this morning is we're going to start from Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And this comes out of what is called Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and in chapter 5, he begins with this uh, list of, of nine, there you go, nine more beats of what it means to, to be a Jesus follower. These are, are ways for us to step into, as I'm following Christ, Jesus says, these are the people that are blessed. And he takes the world's ideas of success and how it looks, and he just begins to flip it upside down. And he says this statement in, in verse three, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, happy are those who are meek. So we're gonna talk about meekness this morning and gentleness, that's one of the fruit of the spirit, both words together playing with one another. Now, gentleness and meekness are, are sometimes hard to grab onto. It, it's one of those words where you're like, I think I get it conceptually. I'm not quite sure what it looks like when humans actually put it into practice. But one of the things I've discovered is that when you do see it, you go, there it is. That's meekness. That's gentleness. Um, my middle name is Harold, by the way. Jonathan Harold. I know, right? There you go. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> you just brought up some, some deep wounds in there from my, my childhood. Thank, thank you, sir. Um, I, I changed my middle name when I was in elementary school to James, and then I would sign all of my homework just Big Jim. I mean, okay, we'll work that out in therapy, whatever that is. Big Jim, James, I just like the name James. I thought Jonathan James sounded, it just sounded rich. There was something like really rich and, I don't know, kind of sassy. Jonathan James, nice looking fellow. So I, I, didn't, I didn't fully like embody the name until later, and, and now I'm quite proud to hold the name Harold because it's my, my grandfather's name. So my mom's, my mom's dad is named Harold, his last name is Good. So my, my mom, if you know my mom, Loretta Good, it really, she does embody Good. It's like, you get a name like that, you're just kind of set on a course. You're like, there you go, have a good life, you're gonna be okay. And so Harold, Harold to me was the, the picture of, of meekness and gentleness. Um, he was a very strong individual, hardworking, honest, good. Um, but he just embodied uh, gentleness and meekness. And to be honest, if, if I look at the list in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the Spirit, this, this is the one characteristic attribute that I want the most for me. Um, if I were to go through, I mean, love is great, awesome, joy, peace, patience, all, all of these are necessary and they're already in me. But there's something about gentleness and meekness. If I were to be described uh, by one word at the end of, of my time here on earth, it would be Jonathan was gentle and meek. That would be such a joy for me. So I do everything I can to cultivate gentleness in my life because I want to fully embody that. I see that in Jesus and I see glimpses of it in my own life, but it's something that I, that I really want and desire. So this comes um, from a very deep place inside of me this morning of my own desire. Um, so I, as I started to think about meekness and gentleness and, and thinking about just the desire of my heart is to be a person who completely embodies this, I, I sent out an email to a few of my friends, pastor friends, who uh, I was just like asking them the question, so what is, what is meekness to you? 
What is gentleness to you? Can you give me descriptions of what you think it might be? And I've got a couple of responses that I wanted to read to you. So here's the first response that I got about meekness, gentleness. I can easily identify what it is not. It is not a naturally phlegmatic temperament. I knew a woman who was so phlegmatic that nothing seemed to make much difference to her at all. While drying dishes for her one day in her kitchen, I asked, uh, where should I put the serving plate? Oh, I don't know. Wherever you think would be a good place was her answer. I wondered how she managed to find things if there wasn't a place for everything. <laughs> Meekness is not indecision, laziness, fragility, loose sentimentalism, indifference, or simply someone who is good-natured and friendly. Meekness is most emphatically not weakness. So when we hear the word meek or gentle, we're not talking about weakness. We're talking about something else. So in fact, if you think about the kingdom of God and you think about how Jesus turned systems and entire empires upside down in their head, you, you could go so far as to say, actually, in the kingdom of God, weak is the new strong. So instead of strength, it's actually weakness. It's actually uh, a lower uh, sense of humility, but also there's meekness and gentleness. So I turned to the Old Testament to look at the idea of getting my hands around this idea of gentleness and meekness. And in Numbers chapter 12, um, probably everybody's favorite book, verse three, it says this about a particular character that, that some of us know, this man named Moses. And it, this is what it says about Moses. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth, right? So when you think about Moses, if you look at this character in the Old Testament, this, this incredibly gifted leader, strong presence, he was in no way weak, feeble, indecisive, kind of like, eh, I don't really care where you put the platter, it doesn't really matter. There was, there was nothing in Moses that lacked that. In fact, he was deliberate, passionate, self-sacrificing, strong, moved into controversy. This was an incredibly strong individual, which then helped me go, okay, if that's meekness and that's gentleness, could meekness and gentleness be what we would categorize as strength under control? Hmm. Strength under control. Then I thought about some of the Hebrew images and metaphors that are used in the scriptures to describe some of these large concepts. And one of the ways that the Hebrew scriptures describes the idea of meekness and gentleness is the expression toward a, a, a large um, wild animal and taking a bit, those metal pieces, and putting it in the mouth of the wild animal in order to control its power. So, Strength under control is like taking a bit, putting it into the mouth of the wild animal, not, not just to kill its power, but to hone its power in. So it becomes a focused power. So I think, wait, is meekness and gentleness more of a, a honed in deliberate power strength versus uh, just a loosey-goosey, indecisive or indifferent type of mentality? Is there something deeper going on here with this idea of being honed in? When bridled, this explosive animal, instead of running over everything in its path, can be controlled and hold in and actually become even more explosive, more deliberate, more pronounced. It like hones the power in. Now let's think about 
putting a bridle or a, uh, a bit in our own mouths when it comes to our words. For many of us, it would probably would benefit us and others if you would put a bit in your mouth, right? <laughs> to control your, your tongue. And then I thought about, wouldn't it be interesting if we were to create a bridle or, an, or a bit for our finger that goes on the mouse, on the computer, and types an email, and then hits send without thinking, how might my words hurt the person on the other side of receiving my scathing email? And I thought about what, what would happen if I were to take my words and my actions and actually coat them to, to control them in the sense that they're actually there to heal and not to harm. And before I hit the send button, maybe I ask other people, would you do me a favor and read this before I send it to the masses? You know, email is not my favorite form of communication because sometimes what we can do with email is we can hide behind our words, can't we? But when we have face-to-face -face interactions, you realize that's a human being I'm talking to. And I love the face-to-face -face more than I do the email. Email is there, it's, it's a fine form of communication, but when it comes to the harder discussions, I wonder what would happen if we were to say, you know what, maybe this would be better served for me to have a face-to-face -face conversation with this person. Hmm, something to consider. Second email, this was interesting, from a pastor. All right, so meekness, gentleness. He begins, why is it that when I begin speaking in a subject matter from scripture, God feels the need to teach me as well? As I was preparing to do a series on Beatitudes, I was meditating on meekness. During this particular week in my life, I was strongly tempted to indulge in the very opposite of meekness, sulking. We got any sulkers in the room? Don't raise your hands. But sulking. Someone had hurt me, he said. He was the one who needed to be changed, not me. I felt I was misunderstood, unfairly treated, and unduly berated. Although I managed to keep my mouth shut, both the Lord and I knew that my thoughts did not spring from the depth of a loving kindness and holy charity. I wanted to vindicate myself to the offender. That was a revelation of how little I knew of meekness. I wanted to vindicate myself. Would I choose here and now to learn of him, to learn of his meekness in reference to Jesus? I often say in my prayers, I want to be more like Christ, but do I really mean it? I often find that in my own journey, he gives me opportunities to put the things that I'm talking about into practice so that I'm interacting with the text as well and growing. He says, I, I think about Jesus. Jesus was despised, he was reviled, he was rejected, pierced, crushed, oppressed, afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth to defend himself. Was he weak or was he meek? Did he sulk in his own self-pity? Jesus ate with Judas, who would later betray him. He broke bread, invited him to participate in the kingdom of God. Jesus ate with betrayers. One of his best friends denied him three times, his closest friend. I imagine the look that Jesus gave to Peter as he walked by, a look of unutterable love and forgiveness, a look of meekness which overpowered Peter's cowardice and selfishness and brought him to repentance. I thought of his meekness as he hung pinioned on the cross, praying even in his agony or his father's forgiveness for his killers. 
There was no venom, no bitterness, only the final proof of a sublime and invincible love. Philippians 2 comes to mind. I invite you to turn your sheet over. I think Philippians chapter 2 fully embodies the idea of gentleness and meekness and invites us to take on this posture of how we see others in our interactions with our friends and our family and those around us. And it says, beginning in verse three, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. My friend goes on to say, Once I read that, I knew that my thoughts did not spring from a depth of loving kindness and holy charity. When we get to inner motivations and we get to our thinking, the question that I think is helpful is where where am I springing from? Like when I think about gentleness and meekness and love and patience and kindness, it's like what am I jumping from? And it, it, it helped me to think that actually meekness begins when we begin checking our attitude towards God. And I think meekness begins with trust because you're launching from something that is gonna hold you, something, but that something's still gonna spring you and it's gonna launch you into a deeper assurance that whatever it is that God calls you to step into, he's got you. So there's a launch from trust. Now, when I was in junior high, um, my mom had this thing called a trampoline but it was like a mini trampoline. Do you remember these things? I, I found this down in the catacombs of the church where the zombies live. And I thought about when I was in junior high, I wanted to dunk a basketball so badly, but I couldn't. Even though my rim was just at about nine feet, I could, I could dunk a, a tennis ball. That didn't make me feel super good about myself. I couldn't dunk a basketball. I couldn't get it over the rim no matter how hard I tried and I would work out and I would try to get my legs stronger. I just couldn't do it. And so my friends and I devised a plan. We thought, how can we dunk a basketball? My mom has a trampoline and she works out in the mornings with Jane Fonda in this like video thing that she does and she's got this ridiculous outfit that she wears. But I I think when she's done with that, I can take it outside in Michigan and use it because the weather there is so temperate. So... We took, we took my mom's trampoline. This is what kids do. Mom, can I borrow that trampoline? Sure, honey, no problem. I take it outside, set it in front of the basketball rim and think, if we just launch from this thing, I'll be able to dunk a basketball. Sure enough, lo and behold, we did. And none of us got hurt. We would launch from this thing. This thing actually helped me to leap. And so it made me think about, okay, back then I was using it to launch into something deeper to, to launch to be able to dunk, I thought, if my, if my assurance and my trust is rooted in something that's actually gonna launch me, that's gonna hold me when I jump, right? Where, where's this thing gonna take me? And how am I gonna land when I jump from this thing? But if I jump from trust, I'd land differently than if I jump from, I gotta get my needs met. Or if I jump from something that really isn't gonna hold me. 
And is the thing that I'm jumping from actually going to help me launch into a deeper sense of God's got everything? Meekness launches from trust. So it really depends on what you're launching from. But it launches from a deep sense of knowing and confidence that if I decide to serve somebody, like if I actually make a conscious choice to serve somebody, that if I, if I move in that direction, then what's going to happen if I do that and it's above my own needs is that this launch is actually going to give me everything I need. Deep trust. If we learn to have trust in God, because ultimately that's what we're, we're longing to do, we're, we're longing to put that into practice, here's what I think can happen. Here's a result. You don't have to strive, scheme, or demand that your needs be met if you launch from trust. We tend to think of, of meekness as something that we show on the outside, and that, and that is true. But I think meekness, really, at the root of it, begins with our attitude towards God. The scriptures say you're blessed, rooted in something that you can actually trust, that you have a deep assurance that your, your past, your present, and your future are all in God's hands, and it's gonna be okay. All of it. So I'm jumping from that reality that not only my past is taken care of, my present is actually taken care of, and my future is going to be okay. It's like my friend put it, springing forth from God's loving kindness and holy charity. That's, that's what I want to spring from so that I move deeper into areas of trust. And I thought, well, what if, what if I jumped into relationships like that? What if I jumped into relationships at my church like that? with a deep assurance that everything, everything I need is going to be taken care of and that that might change how I do relationship or how I view the church community and where I'm living and breathing and getting in my deeper sense of what God is like, launching from deep assurance, launching from confidence, launching from the freedom uh, of doubt holding me down or timidity. And again, we think of Christ and we think of Jesus as being somebody who fully embodied gentleness and meekness. We look at him with his deliberate strength, honed in, purposeful, demonstrated in how he treated people, not quick to defend himself, but to move towards things, move towards the broken parts of humanity because he had a deep assurance that he was gonna be okay. He would even say, I only do what my father asks me to do. We see, we see Jesus riding into Jerusalem this, this Mecca, this holy city, and Jesus is riding into Jerusalem to declare that a new king is coming on into the world. We've got a new king. In this absolute subversive message of the kingdom that stands right now, this rule and reign of Rome, that's over. There's a new king in place. You think about the threat of that. But Jesus, Jesus decides that the way that I'm going to show up is I'm gonna ride in on a donkey, Right? He rides in on a donkey to display that this is a king who chooses the way of humility, gentleness, and meekness, lowly. I think of Jesus, a rabbi, who in his time among God's people, the, the highest place of honor and respect, and he calls and invites disciples to follow him, and as he's training disciples, he gets down on a knee and he begins to wash their dirty and calloused feet. Is that what kings do? This king does. He's a humble king. He's a foot washing king. The king of the universe humbles himself and comes down and begins to wash the feet of these young boys 
to show them this is what the kingdom of God is like. Not a demanding king, but a serving king. And when Jesus is is standing before the angry mob that's coming to take him away, to execute him, and one of his own disciples reacts, takes up a sword and cuts off one of the ears of the royal guard, and Jesus stops and says, put down the sword, Peter. That's not who we are. We are not a sword-singing bunch of people. We choose the way of peace, not of violence, gentleness, meekness. Put it down. Again, displaying, this is what my kingdom is like. And then we see Jesus ultimately humbling himself on the trajectory toward the cross, the place of humiliation, public humiliation, and he submits. Whatever the Father asks me to do, I will do. Listen to the words in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you look on the back of your sheet. It says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus yielded himself to unfair treatment because he wanted to align himself with the will of his father. That was his posture. How do I then realign myself according to the way of Jesus in the world? It's a daily realignment. We see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane on the night before he is to be killed and executed. And he's praying, Father, if there's any other way out, show me what that might be. And he gets silence And instead of moving into sulking or moving into complaint, Jesus submits and says, not my will, but yours be done, Father, whatever. I trust you. Again, launching from a deep assurance and a trust that God knows exactly what God is doing. So I'm moving deeper into trust. Not striving, not demanding, not scheming. I have to get my way. That's the posture of meekness and gentleness. In Psalm 37, David begins to uh, play this out. And he talks about this great tension that we all experience in life. And and he says in, in chapter 37, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for they are like the grass. They will soon wither like green plants. They will soon pass away. And David began to learn one of the greatest secrets in life, leave matters in God's hands. Leave them in his hands especially the three things that we can't control. And the three things that we can't control are people, places, and things. Right? The only thing that we can control, and that is highly questionable, is ourselves. That's why we're spending two weeks on self-control. Because we don't, we're not super good at even controlling ourselves, let alone everything around us. So you think about the posture of David, he says later, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Doesn't that sound like a nod to Jesus? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the land. Sounds a lot like Jesus. Meekness means that you don't have to take every promotion that comes your way. Meekness means you don't have to buy up simply because you can. Meekness means you don't have to get into the right school. (gasps) It means you don't have to win every argument. You don't always have to be right. You don't have to compromise your faith in order to get what you think you need. How much wealth do you really need after all? And if you get the recognition that you claim, that you long for, will it actually satisfy you? Really? 
Remember the words of Jesus, blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Here's the best way I can describe meekness. And I wrote it on the front of your sheet. It says, meekness is having hands that are extended toward God instead of grasping after lesser things. Hands that are open to receive whatever God gives instead of clinging tightly to something they think they need. There's a university in Indiana called Taylor University. It's a Christian university and each year, um, the incoming freshman class is taken on a tour by the president of the school and the president takes them through and shows them the dorms and where they'll be living and the university. And this one year, there was a young man from Africa who was coming to be a student there. He was bright, um, he was honorable, and he was a student that the school was excited about. And when he arrived at the school, the president took him through the universal tour and took him through the dorms and showed him all the dorm rooms and the possibilities and the joy that he'll be experiencing. And then he asked him, hey, Sam, where would you like to live? You get to choose. What room would you like? And this is the man's response. If there is a room that no one else wants, give that one to me. The president turned away in tears because for the first time in his history there at that school, no one had ever said those words. No one ever said, whatever one's left over, I'll take that one. If there's a room that no one else wants, I'll take that one. Blessed are the meek, the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. They will truly step into God's deepest form of reality, the gentle and the meek. And instead of grasping after lesser things, things that we think, I I gotta have this and I have to have this or the meaning leaves, it's like instead of grasping after those things, meek hands are open to receive whatever God has for them. Whatever you have, I, I receive it. It's an openness. And if our lives are springing from deep assurance, trust in God's love and meekness is gonna come I think meekness could be said this way. If there's a job that no one else wants to do, I'll do it. If there's a kid that no one else wants to eat lunch with at my school, I'll eat with that kid. If there's a service that's less convenient for people, I'll worship at that service. If there's a hardship that someone has to endure, I'll share in some of that hardship. If there's a sacrifice that someone needs to make, I'll help them and set my own needs and wants aside for a moment in order for that person to get what I think they might need. Because my heart is confident that the Father knows exactly what I need, so when I launch, I'm launching from that reality. I'm not launching from something that is deficient. God revealed to me, help me to let go of lesser things and cling to you. So I'm gonna invite you for a few moments just to open up your heart Do you want to open up your hands and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you places that you're chasing after lesser things and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what are the ways that you're asking me to surrender because I believe that ultimately surrender opens the way to freedom. A surrendered posture is the beginning of meekness. When we choose the way of Jesus and we choose surrender, Meekness and gentleness begins to flow through our bodies. So we open up ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, for a moment and ask you to come. Help us let go of lesser things.
Philippians chapter two. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, hillsiders, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I invite you into the path of surrender. And if you're here this morning and you haven't yet surrendered your life to Christ, you haven't said yes to following Jesus, I invite you now to just simply open yourself up and say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I don't know what that means. I don't even understand fully what your sacrifice did for me, but I want to follow you. I wanna say yes to you, Jesus. So if you're here, I invite you just simply to say yes, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I wanna give myself to you. I wanna launch from deep trust that the thing I'm searching for is found rooted in you and your way, in the way that you love, in the way that you care, in the way that you treat others. I want that for my life. Surrender.